0: And you'll notice that there, there's a key word in all of that. So I kept saying verifying or verify. And so what we're trying to do is, instead of assuming that our code just works, we want to write tests that automatically help us to verify that our code works. You're listening to I for Detail, the weekly podcast for indie product makers. I'm your host, Ryan Glover, CEO and mentor at Clever Beagle. Every week, we'll be discussing the best tips, tricks, and techniques to help you build and ship a product that your customers will love. One of the more difficult parts of building software is actually making sure that what you're building works. So when you're just starting out, a lot of time is invested in just figuring out how to produce some results on the screen. So you're not really concerned about the quality of the result. You're just trying to say, like, I just want the thing to work. Um, and so, in developer circles, this pursuit is best known as building the the happy path is what you'll what you'll hear it referred to as. So we say happy because it basically means that if everything goes according to plan and our users don't make any mistakes and we've written everything perfectly, presuming this, uh, the application is just going to work. So the reason that's a problem is that the happy path is just one what you would call a permutation or one kind of version of using your application, but not necessarily encompassing all of the possible ways that your application will get used. And so it's, it's kind of like this, like, well, yeah, this is best case scenario, but not necessarily everything that we need to test. So unfortunately that's not reality. So when we're building applications, we have to consider that a number of different things can go wrong. Users can use things in ways that we never intended and we can make mistakes as developers. And so basically you have to realize that the happy path is potentially only one of hundreds, if not thousands of paths that a user could take. And it's next to impossible to, to guess all of that or click through an application by yourself to figure all of that out. So we can sit in the browser and do that so we can manually kind of click through um, or if we're on a device we can kind of tap through things and we can do that kind of ad infinitum but ultimately and and you've probably discovered this if you're even a little bit experienced it's not really the best use of your time Uh, and so instead of getting into the situation where you're saying like well I'm just going to kind of half-ass my testing and I'm just going to, you know, do what I can by clicking through it myself and then just kind of letting it slide. What we can do instead is introduce automated testing or just tests is the the term that you'll hear referred to this. So what I want to talk about in this episode is just a, it's basically a brief overview of what testing is, the different types of tests that are out there, just so you can familiarize yourself with it. And then I'm going to offer up an opinion on what I think you should be doing in respect to tests based on your level of experience. So whether or not you should actually be testing your applications. So to start, what is testing? What is all this stuff? So testing is essentially just the automation of a few different things. So you're trying to verify that certain user behaviors work as expected in your application. You're trying to verify that the inputs that you pass into a function, and the outputs that you get out of a function, and then all of the side effects around that are what you'd expect. So you don't get this kind of random input-output misbehavior in your code. Uh, And it's also verifying that failures in your code are handled properly. So basically, if things don't go according to plan, what actually ends up happening as a result of that? And you'll notice that there's a key word in all of that. So I kept saying verifying or verify. And so what we're trying to do is instead of assuming that our code just works, we want to write tests that automatically help us to verify that our code works. And so in essence, what we're trying to do With a test, is we're writing like a bunch of those. Uh, I don't know if some of the younger members of our audience may not remember these, but they used to have these books kind of back in the 80s and 90s that were like choose your own adventure puzzles. So you would read through the book and it would say, You've come across a a scary monster. What do you want to do? Do you wanna fight the monster or do you wanna run away? And so that's essentially what tests are trying to do. We're trying to create all these little choose your own adventures. We're saying, If this happens, what's the result? If we do this, what's the result? And so we're trying to automate that process so that we're not just sitting at our keyboard just typing and clicking and doing all this stuff, which pretty obviously is is quite error prone. So to really understand tests, the best thing to talk about is what are the the different types of tests? So what is actually available out there? Because honestly, testing can get kind of confusing uh, because there's quite a few different ways to do it. And it really depends and ranges based on what your programming language is or what your development stack is. So even if you're writing with JavaScript, uh, certain tools will have their own kind of way of writing tests, uh, while other tools will just use something generic. And it, it's it's kind of a mess. So there's a lot of different tools, a lot of philosophies, a lot of methodologies around how to do this. And to the inexperienced developer, somebody who's new, uh, presumably like yourself, It can be a bit of a maze. It get it gets confusing and it gets overwhelming and it can be really frustrating. And basically what that can lead to is you get to a point where you just skip writing tests entirely. And full disclosure, that's what I did for several years. So I was so turned off by the the topic and how it was explained by other people that I just said, like, you know what, whatever, I'm not gonna do this, I'm not gonna bother. Um, which I do regret in a lot of ways because I I now, in retrospect, having gone through the experience of writing tests, I kind of understand that like, oh, okay, that weekend that I wasted clicking through the browser 800 times could have been solved with 10 lines of code in the form of a test. So uh, thinking about tests and trying to understand tests, again, the best place to start is what are the different types of tests? So the first one and the most common that you're going to hear is the unit test. So like the name implies, unit tests are very tiny. So they're trying to verify a a very small isolated piece of functionality in your application. Like we're talking like literally one function in your application. So that small unit um, of code. And so an example might be something like parsing a user's name from a value that you retrieve from the database so you get like a a big object back that represents your user in the database but you just want to get their name as like a string so like in my case if I wanted to get my user record out of a database I'd want to just produce a clean string that said Ryan Glover not you know I have to write a bunch of so for in JavaScript it'd be like and and this and and that and 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 you're basically trying to uh, dial it down just to the full name string. Uh, you could also do something like Markdown. So one of the things that I, I rely on pretty often in my code is um, I'll do inputs where users can type in plain text or they can type in Markdown. And basically what that allows is to convert that Markdown into HTML. So it's kind of like shorthand for writing HTML. And so, and, and I, should, I should call this out now. So kind of what I've been doing here for these podcasts is I've been writing up um, a blog post that kind of explains the core ideas of what I'm talking about and then kind of using that as my script as I record these. And I want to call out this week's blog post. So if you head over to cleverbeagle.com slash blog, uh, and you'll see this in the the, the most recent post. Um, I want you to check out the blog post for this week because it does have some code samples in there. So I'm going to kind of talk through them. But in case you're wondering like, what what the heck is he talking about? Uh, definitely go check out that post because that's going to, to give a little more context on, on what I'm going over here. So, what I want to talk through is well, okay, a unit test, what, is, what does that actually look like and what does that involve? So, first, again, we have a function. So, if we take the example of converting some markdown, so I have a function that takes in a string of markdown. And then I pass it to a function that's responsible for converting that Markdown into HTML. So literally, uh, if you've ever seen Markdown, it's like uh like a, a underscore or an under. Uh, now, see, now I'm forgetting. Like, uh, it's funny how you 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 know this stuff by hand, but you you forget it when you're trying to explain it. Um, okay, so if I do uh, italics, I would put underscore like I put an underscore at the start of the word type my word, and then I put an underscore at the end of it. And that would get converted to the emphasis tag or the EM tag in HTML. That's the basic idea of markdown. We're trying to give ourselves a shorthand to write a bunch of mark- or HTML without having to, to actually write it. So basically, the idea is I have a function that, that's supposed to do that. But with a test, we're trying to actually verify that that works. It does what we expect it to do. So where a test comes in, or a unit test comes in specifically, what we're trying to say is, okay, given this input, do we get this result back out of the function? So if I pass in a string of markdown, we're trying to verify that, okay, we get the HTML we'd expect back from that function. And so typically what I do to write my unit tests is I use a framework called Jest. So Jest is written and maintained by the folks at Facebook. Um, It's honestly one of the best testing tools out there. It's something that does a lot of the work for you in the form of helping you to write the test, but also run the test. and the the command line tool that they give you to run your test is excellent. it It works perfectly. It's the first time I've ever worked with a testing framework where, it works <laughs> out of the box. Like it, like I read the documentation, write the test based on what they're telling me, and then I run it and it actually does it. Whereas in the past, a lot of the testing tools that I used, it would always be like, oh, right, we forgot to mention you need these 50 dependencies and uh, one of them is too out of date, so it's not going to work with your stack and then you're going to spend the rest of the afternoon tearing your hair out. So definitely check out Jest uh, if you're trying to get started with writing tests because that that's a really well built tool. Uh, but that's the basic idea of a unit test, right? It's we're trying to say, okay, given some small unit, so like a function, if we use this function in the way that we think a user is going to use it, does it produce the result that we expect? So if I pass this markdown function, so we'll we'll, we'll call the function parse markdown. So if I pass it some markdown to parse, does it parse it into HTML like we expect? And that's a tiny unit. That's, That's not the entire application. That's not everything. It's just making sure this one little piece is working. And so What that now leads us into is the integration test. And so integration tests, and the name kind of hints at this, are trying to integrate multiple parts or pieces of our application. And so if we think about it based on what we just learned with unit tests, like, well, it's basically trying to say integrating multiple units together. So if I take parse markdown and... I don't know, maybe I have like a sanitized HTML function so people can't put script tags or something like that into the text they're storing in my database. Well, putting those two together is me integrating them into one chunk of code. And so an integration test is trying to verify, do those things play nicely with each other? And so an example of this, uh, and this is what I've got in the the blog post here. So I've got this example code from command, the, the SAS that I'm working on. And one of the things that customers can do is they can update their product in the database. So uh, product is just what is the the project or the product that you're working on. And so you can do things like change the name of it, change the team members on it, and things like that. So I have a function, which is a bunch of different things combined together. So I've got two steps in my code where I say, OK, I'm trying to verify that the, the current user has the ability to make changes to this product. And then I'm actually updating the product in the database. So this one's pretty small. I I chose this intentionally because integration tests can be pretty big depending on what code you're testing. Uh, But this one's pretty small. So literally, it's combining two parts or two units, we'll say, in our application. So I have a function called check if owner, which is trying to verify, does this user actually own this product or do they have access to this product? And then I have another function called update product in database. So that's actually responsible for making the change in the database uh, that the user has requested back in the UI. So an integration test for this is trying to verify that the end result of what this function is ultimately supposed to do is doing its job. So even though I mentioned that there's two steps involved, what I really care about in this case is that those two steps just play nicely and produce the end result that I want. So in this case, updating the product in the database. And so what my test is doing is it's basically saying, okay, did we get to the point where I'm able to make a change in the database? So I want to verify that if I pass this this data into the function, so the the function that we're testing is called update product. So that's the function that we're going to test. And then the test itself, so the actual code that I'm writing to perform the test for me, that is going to call update product, passing it some data. So inside of tests, what you're generally going to do is you're going to come up with some contrived data that represents the the type of data that would actually be passed in. So if it was user-generated data that you would be passing into the function like in your code itself, uh, inside of a test, we're trying to make an example of that. So we want to say, given this type of data, what does the code do? Given this type of data, what does the code do? So basically, we have a, a controlled copy of the data that we would pass in. So I'm taking that controlled copy of the data and I'm passing it to the function. And this is all part of the test. So we're saying, OK, go ahead and do this work. And then we're trying to verify that something happens. So in this case, I want to verify that products.update, so that's the, the method that I'm using to talk to my database, which I'm using MongoDB for. So I'm saying, does the products collection, so products collection, or if you're used to SQL, it's like the products table. So does the products collection or table update method get called like I'd expect? And what I mean by expect is, does it get called once? So this is specific to my test. Does it get called one time, which is what I expect? And does it get called with this specific data? So this specific data is basically given that that test data or that contrived data that we pass into the function when we test it at the start. So if you literally think about it, it's like um, <laughs> this is this is appropriate because it's the, the Halloween season. So we'll say um, you go into a haunted house. It's like this really happy, positive person and like everything's great in life. And then, you know, you go through that haunted house and 15 minutes later, you come out, and you, you've lost all sense of reality, and you just want to go ball up in a corner somewhere. So uh, that's that's kind of an extreme version of this. But basically, we're trying to see, does the data that we pass into the haunted house or our function, does it change in the way that we expect it to? So ideally, if you go through a haunted house, you're, you're not going to have a psychological crisis. You're just going to get scared a little bit and have some fun. But uh, same way with our code, we want to make sure that that code doesn't get tweaked in a way that we didn't expect, right? So we're trying to say, okay, passing in this data, does it make it to this function? And this function in this example is the products.update function. Does it make it to that function in the way that we'd expect? If it does, great. That means that for the most part, our code should be working. And so that's essentially what we're trying to get to here. And and I want to call this out. So there's this idea of confidence. So when you're writing tests, the goal is not perfection or getting the sense of uh, it's not really a word, but bulletproofness or bulletproofedness. So we're, trying, we're not trying to say, like, can we make our code bulletproof? We're just trying to say, can we increase our confidence as developers that this code is going to do what we expect or behave in the way that we expect? And so when it comes to something like an integration test, you're trying to gain some confidence around multiple parts being joined together, functioning or performing in the way that you'd expect. So that's more on the code level. So unit tests and and integration tests are literally on what you would call the back end or behind the scenes code. So this is literally testing the code directly itself versus testing some actual behavior. So what I mean by that is when I say behavior, I mean like clicking through a browser. So like you or I would test when we we go to test our application, we're saying like, okay, I built this feature. I'm going to test it. What do we do? Well, we go back to the browser and we say, OK, let's fill out this form, click this button, maybe toggle this switch and make sure that it does what we expect. But we're, we're manually actually going through and clicking in the browser. And so unit tests and integration tests aren't doing that. They're testing the code that's behind the scenes that the UI is accessing to perform that task. So we give the user the form. And then when they submit the form, something happens behind the scenes that's what we're testing with the unit or integration test. We're testing the code that's ultimately going to be called by the UI, and we're trying to figure it out. So that's great, but we should also be in a position where we can test whether or not what we're doing in the browser is working as well. And this is where end-to-end tests come in. So end-to-end tests, that name it can get kind of tweaked a little bit. So you, you, there's a lot of different names. So this is one of the more confusing parts about testing is that certain types of tests get different types of names or get different names. And so end-to-end tests, I've, I've heard them referred to as... Uh, the, the most common one that you hear is behavioral tests or behavior tests. Um, but there's, there's a, a bunch of different names that you'll come across. But end-to-end tests are basically us saying... If we click through the browser in this way, do we get the end result that we expect? And now when we when we think about clicking through, it's like, well, we're not manually clicking through. Again, the point with tests in general is to automate the process of testing. We're not trying to make ourselves do anything. And so in the same way that you or I might, I don't know, we'll say if we were going to do this physically, we would say, "Okay, I'm going to create a checklist on paper." So I'm going to say if i If I fill out the form with this data, if I click this button, do I get redirected to the route that I expect? And so that's what an end to end test is automating for us. It's trying to say, okay, um given some code where I, I automatically and this is this is the point of the test is we're going to automatically fill out a form or we're going to automatically click on things in our in our browser. If I do that, do I get the result that I expect? So what an end to end test doing? is doing is giving you the ability to say, okay, uh, control the browser in some way or control a browser. So what's neat about end-to-end tests, and this is actually really fun, and I would recommend if you're just getting started with testing, start with end-to-end tests because they have a bit of a wow or magical factor to them. And what they're essentially doing is behind the scenes, when you run an end-to-end test, they're spawning a browser. And by spawning, I mean opening. So they're literally going to open a browser and manually go through Albeit very quickly, so we're dealing with a computer here, so the computer's going to be able to do it a lot faster than we can. But it's literally opening a browser, and it's saying, okay, let me perform the steps that you've given to me. And so those steps are what make up our end-to-end test. So if we think about, like, well, what does it mean to log into an application? And We wanted to test that behavior, that, that functionality. Well, if I were a user, I would go to the login page, and then I would type in an email address and then I would type in a password, and then I'd click the Login button, and I'd expect to log into the application. So uh, in the example here that I've got in the blog post, I've taken this from PUP, which is the the boilerplate that we maintain at Clever Beagle. So what I've done is I've said, okay, if I'm going to log into the application, well, I need to fill out those fields, and I need to click that button. So that's what an end-to-end test helps us do. So it can literally say, okay, in the browser type some text into this input and then type some text into this input and then click this button and then verify for us that we get redirected to some URL. So in the case of the the test that I've added from PUP here, this is from the login page in PUP. So can't we're basically we're trying to verify can the user log in. And so to do that we type in an email address and we're we're having the test do this for us. So I don't want to confuse you. We're having the test say and there's there's a method. So I use a library called test cafe for writing end-to-end tests. And that that framework or that tool gives us access to a function, uh, a few different functions, but the, the two that I'm using here. So there's browser.typeText. So it's literally saying, in the browser, type this text, and we pass it the, the selector of an input. So in this case, I use a data attribute to label the, the input that I'm after, but this would be like a, a class name or a, an ID tag or something like that as well. So just literally any HTML selector. So I pass it an HTML selector, and then I pass it a value to type in. So we're saying browser.typeText into this input, and here's the text I want you to type into the input. So the first one we do is we say type into the email address input, Then we say type into the password input. And then we say another method, browser.click, and we pass the selector of a button that we want to click. And so we say browser.click on this selector of this button. And so that's the actual completion of the task or the behavior that a user would have. But then what we're doing is we're saying, okay, after that, we want to get the current page's URL. So what we're trying to verify is essentially, if I fill out this form and click submit, did the application redirect the user to what in PUP is the documents page? So that's how I know that you've, you've successfully logged in, because in order to get to the documents page, you have to be an authenticated or logged in user. So I'm verifying, did you make it to this route? And if the browser is at that route after performing all of those steps, okay, that means that the login page is working as we'd expect. And so that's what your end-to-end test is doing. It's helping you to automate that entire process so that you're not manually typing things out. And so the, the space where the, the end-to-end name comes in, because that can be kind of confusing, because I, I typically like to refer to these as browser tests. But where end-to-end comes in is it's literally testing, does some behavior on the front end of your application do what you'd expect it to do all the way from the front end to the back end of the application. So in this case, if I'm filling out a form in the browser on the front end, and then I hit submit, does the code on the back end to log the user in actually do what it's supposed to do, and then redirect the user. So literally from the front end to the back end of the application, or end to end, I'm testing that my code is doing what I'd expect. So that's, the point of end-to-end. And again, if you're just getting started, I highly recommend checking end-to-end tests out because it's really fun. Like when you run your tests, and at least speaking for a test cafe, it'll actually pop up a browser window on your computer and you'll see it like really quickly kind of fill things out. And it's really exciting and it, it makes testing a lot more fun uh, than it can be when you're especially dealing with unit and integration tests. Sometimes those can be a little frustrating, but end then tests are really magical and they're, they're valuable too. So just as kind of a warning... Um, While they are valuable, you'll also hear this term fragile or fragility introduced to end to end tests. And what that means is basically your end to end tests are testing your user interface. So the second that you make a change to your user interface, your tests might break. And so the fragility there is that, well, I might spend all this time writing an end-to-end test, only to go back and change my UI later, which means my test break, and I got to go back and fix those tests or rewrite them entirely. So that's one thing to keep in mind. So if you are going to write end-to-end tests, kind of do it after you've committed to a UI. So don't do it when you're in like the prototyping stage or the te- like the the testing of an idea phase. Do it after you've like you've said like okay this is this is pretty much what we're going to do for the time being. Now let's go ahead and write an end-to-end test, and then you'll kind of get more value out of it that way, because you're not going to have to keep rewriting the same thing over and over, unless you want to. Sometimes that is helpful for helping you to understand stuff. But, you know, uh, if you're a, a true blue lazy developer, you're you're not going to want to do that. Um, and speaking personally, I don't like to do that. So I, I'd say write my end-to-end test after I'm certain that my UI is kind of locked in where I want it for the moment. So that is the basics of testing. That is, so we've, we've got unit tests, integration tests, and end to end tests. And so that's the gamut of the different tools that you'll be working with. Um, and again, with, to, uh, with testing, there's a lot of philosophy around this. So one of the, the terms that you'll hear is TDD or test driven development. So, test driven development is basically a philosophy where you're saying that I'm going to write my tests first. And then my code's second. So there's this, this idea of, they, they call it red-green refactor. So what you're doing is you're writing a test that you expect to fail. And so that's red. So typically when you run your test with some test runners, what they call them. So when you run your test, that tool is going to spit some output out. And it's generally in your uh, your terminal or your, your um, command line. So you're going to see okay, I'm going to see red text that says this test failed when we ran it. So you're trying to say, okay, get it to be red first. So have some expectation in the code or expectation in the test. And then you're going to write some code to make it green. So you're going to try and make that test pass or fulfill the expectations of that test in the form of code. And then you're going to refactor that code. So make it red first, then get it green and then refactor. it. So the idea is First, the green is just get it to work, but then refactor is to improve it and make it really solid code or really efficient code. And so that's a philosophy. That's not something that you have to do, but that is one way to write your code. And so you'll hear people, especially more experienced developers will do this, and it's something that I've even started to noodle with, uh, which is you're trying to say, like, well, if I expect this code to work in general, so when I'm done with it, I expect it to work. It makes sense to write tests first because I'm going to verify upfront that this is doing what I want. Because I said I set an expectation first, and then wrote the code to fulfill or meet that expectation, as opposed to writing some code that it, I assume it works or I expect it works, and then going back and verifying that it works with the test. And really, this it's just a difference in philosophy or in a way of thinking about the problem, and it, it is a thinking thing. So logically. I can say from practice, TDD is kind of hard if you go from implementing the code first, then going back to the test, if that was your standard path first, and then you flip it and you're trying to say, okay, now I'm going to write a test. It's, it's a totally different way uh, of thinking about problems. And so I would say that if you're, you're just getting started, it might be, you know, hands off, but, um, something worth considering and knowing about. So again, the the idea isn't that TDD is something that you have to do, but it, it is a term that you'll hear pretty often and it's something to familiarize yourself with or at least learn about the, the general terminology. So that kind of plays into this bigger question here, which is, should you even be writing tests? So we have methodologies, we have all these tools, some of it can be confusing, some of it can be, you know, enjoyable to do, but generally speaking, there's there's a ton of moving parts involved in this. And so as an early developer, and so I, I would kind of scope this to, I don't know, we'll say you're in your first one to two years of writing code. So you, you, you've gone through the basic tutorials, you can get some general results in your, your applications, but you wouldn't call yourself an expert or a pro yet or even experienced in any way. You're just still trying to find your way. Uh, so the question of should you be writing tests, I would say early on in your career, no. And the reason I say no is that writing tests is early on very cumbersome and it's confusing and it can be overwhelming. And so when you're an early developer, that can be honestly quite demoralizing. So when I first started, one of the things that I was learning a lot about, like, well, you have to write tests. There wasn't really a good why as to why I needed to write tests, but in the tutorials I would read or books I would read, people say like, well, you got to write tests. And so I started out trying to write tests, but I would find that the majority of my time was spent fighting with testing tools and fighting with getting the test to work and not actually producing a result. And so it felt terribly unproductive. I was in this position where I was like, as a beginner, because I didn't really understand the nuances of the language and actually writing the code itself, I was in this position where it was like, my efforts were constantly doused. And so I would waste two, three days playing with tests only to have no real implementation done. So ultimately what ended up happening, and this is is how I kind of form this opinion is I said like, well, let me figure out how to just make this thing work first, then go back and and learn tests once I know how the tests actually apply or play into the greater puzzle here. And so I would say if you're a beginner, don't kind of hold the sword over your head. You don't have to have this thing working perfectly um, in terms of writing tests. Just focus on getting your code to work because that ultimately is the exciting thing that encourages you to keep going with this stuff and encourages you to keep writing code in general. And so once you're in that kind of state of flow, you might call it where you're like, yeah, I'm having fun. This stuff is working. I'm figuring stuff out. Then kind of have the discipline to say like, okay, now that I can make it work, instead of just continuing to go down that path of saying like, yeah, I'll just fudge it and make it work. Actually go back and say, okay, now I'm going to write some code in the form of tests to actually help me verify this. So, so kind of take that approach. So ultimately, this is this is boiling down to a question of quality and how much do you actually care about the result that you're delivering to users. And I, I, I don't want to, to make this sound like an evil thing. But really, the decision to write tests is you making a decision to say, how much do I care? What level of quality do I want to deliver to my end users? So. Quality here is what we're talking about is when a user uses our application, does it actually do what we say it does in a, a predictable way? So, if as a user I go and we'll say we, we take the example of uh, somebody can sign up for a subscription in your application. So they can, they can sign up and say, okay, I want to start my subscription. If they click the, the, so they fill out the credit card form and then they hit subscribe. Does that consistently produce the result of following through with charging their credit cards, setting up their subscription correctly, and does it work? Versus, okay, well, maybe on your local machine, you got it to work, but you just kind of released the code blindly and didn't really do any testing. And then for some users, they click the button and they just see a spinner and nothing really happens. So that's kind of a a question of quality, right? Because you have, well, am I actually fulfilling the, the... uh, promise that I set out for users in the form of my code. So when it comes to, should I write tests or not? Well, do you want to verify that your code is actually doing what you say it's doing and deliver that quality experience back to customers? So that, that's one thing to consider. And then another is really, and this is this is my personal rule of thumb, and this is kind of what I was getting at before, but it, it, it's worth reiterating, which is Early on, because testing can be kind of overwhelming and it can be cumbersome, I would recommend again in your first one to two years, you just want to say, okay, I'm I'm not going to focus too much on testing. Maybe play with it. Maybe try some examples out. Um, If you haven't already, check out something like PUP where I've given you a bunch of examples that are like all the stuff is pre-wired for you so you don't really have to think through it. You can just kind of play around in like a sandbox type of environment. Try stuff like that. But don't really... Overcommit to having to write tests. So basically don't make that a prerequisite for you writing code or learning how to code. Just focus on saying, okay, I'm going to get stuff to work and then I'll play with this on the side. And so really the, the best way to do that is saying like, okay, well, maybe I'll test something small. So maybe I'll start with, uh, maybe I'll just test this one function. So I'll write a unit test for this one function and then that's it. And then maybe, so we'll think in terms of months. So the first month, maybe I'll just write one unit test, get that to work, get some familiarity with it. Okay, then maybe the next month I'll write two to three integration tests. So I'll get the integration test done. Cool. So again, the point being, we're not trying to build this massive, what you would call a test suite. So a test suite is all of your tests combined across your entire application kind of run together. So you're not trying to have this massive test suite with hundreds or thousands of tests. You're just saying, okay, just start small. Let me let me just get my bearings with this. And then same thing with end-to-end test in there. You know, you kind of maybe write a few browser tests, but don't don't get too obsessive about it or don't feel like you you have to fulfill some Expectations. So, I've talked about this idea before in, in different. I, I might have mentioned it in the podcast, or I might have mentioned it uh, in writing somewhere else. But this idea of the invisible developer. So, as you're working, you feel like you have this developer over your shoulder that's like, "You need to do this. You have to do it this exact way, or you're a failure, or you're an idiot." Kind of ignore that and say like, "Okay, I'm going to do this very slowly, and I'm going to do it in a way that makes sure that I learn what I need to learn." And I understand it without getting overwhelmed and without getting into a position where I'm just discouraged entirely. And I say like, "eh, I'm not going to write tests," because once you do that, and I speak from experience with this, you can get into a really bad habit of never testing your code, which then ultimately plays out. And this happened with me; uh, it ultimately plays out into a position where. You ship things a little bit quicker, but what you ship ultimately doesn't necessarily fulfill the promise that you set out. And so you, you kind of ding yourself a little bit in terms of um, quality and perception from the, the customer side of things. So I think that's going to do it. Basically, that's the idea here. It's, uh, there's, there's a lot of different stuff out there and a lot of different ways to do this, but you don't want to let that scare you and you don't want it to discourage you. Basically, you just want to slowly familiarize yourself with this stuff and then over time, build up to the point where testing becomes a natural or kind of second nature type of thing. Like you just do it because you that's what you do. That's how you write code. And up until that point, just kind of take your time and be patient and and have fun with it. Try to have fun with it and realize that testing is an important thing in the sense that it's helping you as a developer to save more time later. So... Basically, what you're saying is I'm going to spend the time now to write these tests to make sure that I'm not going to have to waste time going back and debugging and fixing all these problems later, which if you've ever worked for a company that doesn't really have a testing philosophy or you've ever built your own projects where you didn't have a testing philosophy, you know that that's always going to be the case. You're going to have to go back and say like, oh, okay, this bug is happening. Why is this bug happening? And then you waste all this time and kind of douse your, your momentum because you're, you're fixing problems that you could have fixed in the past or caught in the past before they became problems in the form of tests. So that's going to do it. Um hopefully that was helpful and definitely let me know in the comments. So uh, you, you folks are pretty quiet. So if you're, if you're, you're listening to these and watching these, please comment and ask questions and, um, or if you have some insight, so if you're a little more experienced and you, you have some insight for other listeners, make sure to leave comments and, and definitely give feedback on this stuff and, and I'll make sure to, to boost it and, and, get the word out there that, that you're helping out. Cause it's, it's really important to me to know that you folks are are listening to this and watching this and enjoying it. Um, but also I kind of want to shine the light on you folks a little bit. So I know a lot of you, uh, at least the the folks that I know personally that are listening, a lot of you are really good at what you do and really experienced. So it'd be helpful if, you know, you shared your wisdom as well and not just me kind of sitting on my soapbox yell, yelling <laughs> into infinity and like, oh yeah, this is how you got to do it. It's like, well, I'd, I'd like to have that that other perspective in here for folks. So uh, definitely do that if you uh, if you have something in mind. And, and if you haven't already, make sure to hit the subscribe button down below. So trying to build this channel up and it's really helpful if you, uh, you, you subscribe to this stuff and, and give me a thumbs up if you, you enjoyed the topic and, and what we were talking about is helpful, but also make sure to share this stuff. Uh, so if you're like, oh, you know what, I, I know somebody who could benefit from this information, definitely kind of please take the time to, to copy the link paste it, tweet about it, post it, you know, on Facebook or wherever you, you share stuff. Definitely help me get the word out because I do want to build this up and, and help as many people as we can who are trying to figure out how do I I build my own product and how do I do this stuff. So that's going to do it for me, folks. Thanks for listening and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to I for Detail, the weekly podcast for indie product makers. To get new episodes as soon as they're released and listen to the full episode archive, head over to cleverbeagle.com slash podcast.